Please uh, now turn with me to your study outlines, and as you're turning, I want to welcome those of you that are joining us online, and I want to mention a story that happened last Sunday after the 945 service, because people join us online all across the country and different places, even around the world, and this young man comes up to me, and he goes, I am so excited to actually be here in person, and I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, well, I always watch you online. This is the first time I've ever been here in person. I said, where do you usually watch us from? He says, New Mexico right now, but not always. I said, what do you mean by that? He says, well, I'm with the carnival, and I travel with the carnival. And wherever I'm traveling with the carnival, I always join uh, the service uh, at Purpose Church on Sunday mornings, and it is just so exciting uh, to be here uh, today. And so for all of you that are joining us online, we are so very glad. Welcome our friends uh, from Arco, Idaho, and also from Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us for our study as well. Now, our theme for Can't Lose has been that when we reconcile with each other and are unified, despite our differences we can't lose. Now that is going to be put to the test in the next 48 hours, okay, Uh, as we prepare for the most contentious election in our lifetime. And so, and this is really puts the church to the test. I, I find as pastor, we struggle with unity more at this time every four years than at any other time. And so the basic principle is when we reconcile with each other, when we're unified despite our differences, we can't lose. But let me put a different spin on the title of this series uh, today uh, on Can't Lose. Whoever wins the election on Tuesday, we can't lose because God will still be on his throne on Wednesday, okay? So whoever wins the presidential election on Tuesday, uh, we can't lose because God will still be on his throne on Wednesday. Um, there was a, a story of two painters that were in a competition with each other and given the insi- an assignment to, to paint, give a portrait of peace. And so the first painter went and he did this beautiful placid, like an ocean, almost like glass that was completely calm, just a mirror. And it was so beautiful, so perfect. Everybody said, oh, certainly he's going to win the competition. And then was unveiled the next uh, competitor's um, contribution to the com- uh, competition. And he had this stormy sea with just waves crashing everywhere and just greatly violent, violent, stormy sea. And they said, oh, he must have not got the memo. Uh, he didn't know what we were supposed to do. He's, he, he's made a mistake. That's nothing like peace. But all of a sudden, as you looked at the painting more carefully, you saw two birds on a rock safe in the middle of the storm. And he won the competition because that's what peace really is. No matter how great the storm will be in the next two days and beyond, we are on the rock, Jesus Christ. We are perched on him. We are planted on him. And so that's what real peace is when it's peace within the storm. Now, I'm so glad that Kimberly is not here today. She's visiting our newest grandson up up in Seattle uh, this weekend uh, because she's usually at 11-11 service sitting on the front row. And I'm so glad she's not here because she would scream out right now, he's a hypocrite. He's a hypocrite. Uh, Because uh, me preaching about how, hey, God's still on his throne. Don't be uptight about the election. I get obsessed at election time. 
I go crazy. You can ask my friends and the pastors behind the scenes, and, and you can ask my wife. Oh, oh my goodness. In the Gunderson family, politics is blood sport. I, I want you to know, okay? It is, I mean, my daughter, Abby, you know this, I've said it many times, is a legislative director for a congressman uh, on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. And, and our son-in-law is a lawyer for the Justice Department, also in Washington, D.C. And our other daughter, Leah, uh, has been a teacher's union rep um, here in Los Angeles. And so we take our politics very passionately and very seriously. My mother's maiden name was Nixon. Okay, that was her maiden name. So I grew up, all my mother's side of the family believed that Watergate was no big deal, okay? Now, I have to admit, compared to stuff today, maybe grandma wasn't crazy after all, okay? So, so at any rate, so that, that's, that's how I grew up. This is no lie. This is no exaggeration. Some of you were here, uh, remember the 2000, the election 16 years ago, the Florida recount? How many remember that? I literally lost five pounds during the Florida re- recount. Um, it, it's the only effective weight loss plan I've ever had. So I'm actually hoping that the election will be in dispute for six months after. Uh, just kidding. But I could get down to my goal weight if it goes uh, six months. Rather. I mean, if I lost uh, five pounds in, in one month, you do the math on that. All right. But so we, we take our politics very, very seriously. And so I'm just preaching to myself today. If we could have a giant mirror here, I'd just be preaching to the mirror. And if you want to listen in, whoever wins on Tuesday, we can't lose because God will still be on his throne on Wednesday. Now, we're going to talk about why would Jesus vote? WWJV, why would Jesus vote? This is an almost a 400-year tradition in America. Since 1633, the Sunday before the election, uh, pastors would always have what was called an election sermon. And this has been a tradition in America. 150 years before we became a nation, we still had this practice for almost 400 years that you'd have an election sermon, a pastor would preach on the election the Sunday before whenever the election uh, was held. And this, if there's ever an election where we were tempted to stay home and not vote, it was this one. How many of you, even if you voted all the time, it's crossed your mind this time, okay, to, to, to stay home or do a writing or whatever else might be. Um, if there's ever been one that's been tempted, it would be this one. Um, Pam Barden, a member of our board of trustees uh, right now, she uh, and I went, graduated from Wheaton College, uh, same year, 1978, back in Chicago. And we were talking about the election the other day, and the highlight of our time at Wheaton was when President Gerald Ford visited Wheaton College and gave a speech to the student body. And this was the highlight of our time uh, during the 1976 election. And, 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 and she said to me, when we were talking about the election this year, I miss Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter. I, I miss them. Uh, and I just have to admit, thinking back to the election of 1976, um, I guess that was the first election I ever voted in. Um, boy, that seems quaint by comparison. We thought it was intense at that time, but it is quaint uh, compared to this one. Speaking of Gerald Ford, I've told you the story before, but his son, Mike Ford, uh, went to the same seminary I went to, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary outside of Boston. And so he was the president's son. He was going to seminary when he was the son of the president. 
And so secret service agents had to go with him to all of his classes. They'd be in their suits with their little earpiece and their dark shades, and they would sit on either side of him. They went to all of his theology classes, his church history classes, his preaching classes, his Bible exegesis classes. And the students at our seminary nicknamed these two secret service agents Goodness and Mercy. Because they said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So let's talk a little bit about why have many Christians dropped out of the political process, okay? Number one, they don't want to be part of what's called the social gospel. You know what the social gospel is? That's where all you do is take care of the needs of people in this life, and you never tell them how they can go to heaven. That's what's called the social gospel. And so they're like, you know what? It's all about getting people to heaven. It's not about changing their lives this side of heaven. We're just going to focus on that. We don't want to be involved in politics because that makes us part of the social gospel. Now, the Bible teaches a balance between the two. Uh, The opposite is also wrong, to only focus on going to heaven and neglect people's needs here and to focus on people's needs here and never tell them how to go to heaven. Jesus fed the hungry And he also gave of himself the bread of life so people could live with him in heaven for eternity. And so there's a balance between the two. Minister to the needs of people this side of heaven, but also tell them it doesn't do any good to have a full stomach on your way to hell. It doesn't, you know, have have your medical needs met, but still end up in hell. That's no good. And so we minister to their needs here and use that as a bridge to share with them, as Jesus did, how to go to heaven. Now, second reason why we've dropped out is they've given up hope. Many Christians drop out of the political process because we've given up hope. It's hopeless. We can't make a difference. We, we give up. Our little girl, Rebecca, she's not little now, but when she was a little girl, we were teaching her to pray the Lord's Prayer before she went to bed. And when she was a little girl, one night she prayed it this way, Our Father, which art in heaven, Hollywood be thy name. Um, do you ever feel like uh, uh, Hollywood and the principles, the principles of Hollywood, the values of Hollywood, and the values of God's war, word are at war with each other? And have you ever felt in your moments of despair that Hollywood is winning that battle? It's winning. And so we despair. We give up hope. Number three, they believe that politics is dirty. Uh, Jim Nelson Black, who wrote the book, When Nations Die, He wrote, one of the greatest reasons for the decline of American society over the past century has been the tendency of Christians who have practical solutions to abandon the forum at the first sign of resistance. In the parable of the talents, Jesus Christ did not warn us to run away, to flee to the hills, or hide our eyes, but to go into the fields and bring forth the harvest. And then number four, we drop out of the process because we are intimidated. And this intimidation comes from a misunderstanding of the principle of the separation of church and state. Now, this is very precious to us as Baptists. Do you know that Baptists are the ones that started the separation of church and state? You go back in history, Roger Williams uh, went with the Baptists to Rhode Island to escape the theocracy, the Congregational Puritan theocracy of Massachusetts. He went to Rhode Island, established Rhode Island uh, on the basis of separation of church and state. We're the ones that started the idea. And yet it is applied 180 degrees from the way it was intended by those that started it. Separation of church and state meant that the state, the government, shouldn't mess with religion. It in no way meant that religion wasn't to inform and to speak to government. It's applied in exactly the opposite way that it was intended. William Hitt writes, 
In fact, history tells us that our ancestors came to America to get away from government interference in their religious lives. That was the original meaning of the separation of church and state. In early America, religious views were not kept out of the government. The government was kept out of personal religious views. Now, quote, separation has been changed 180 degrees to mean that religion should be kept out of government. A while back, Karen Jones um, sent me this. It was the beginning, the preambles to all of the 50 state constitutions in America, all the way Alabama to Wyoming. Alabama's preamble goes like this. We, the people of the state of Alabama, invoking the favor and guidance of Almighty God, do ordain and establish the following constitution. You go all the way to the back to Wyoming. Uh, We, the people of the state of Wyoming, grateful to God for our civil, political, and religious liberties, establish this constitution. And then you go to California, preamble to the constitution. We, the people of the state of California, grateful to Almighty God for our freedom. And so Jesus has called us to go boldly into the, into the political arena, boldly uh, to uh, proclaim uh, the message of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Uh, Proverbs 11, verse 11. The good influence of godly citizens causes a city to prosper, but the moral decay of the wicked drives it downhill. And then uh, Proverbs 14, verse 34. says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Uh, this quote from Edwin, Edmund Burke that's very famous, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. And then this quote by Adrian Rogers. Uh, the question is not can you be a Christian and be involved in government. The question is can you be a Christian and not be involved in government. And then the one that I'm kind of surprised by is this one by Mark Twain. Because Mark Twain was not known as a very re- religious man. Here's what he says. A Christian's first duty is to God. It then follows, as a matter of course, that it is his duty to carry his Christian code of morals to the polls and vote them. If Christians should vote their duty to God at the polls, they could carry every election and do it with ease. It would bring about a moral revolution that would be incalculably beneficent. It would save the country. Now, um, in in this, um, we've got to remember that God has established whoever wins on Tuesday, that is God's purpose. That is God's will. He is going to work through that. He's not going to be surprised like, oh my goodness, the polls were off and this person ends up. You know, God's not going to be, oh gracious, I, I, I can't believe it. I, I undercounted uh, this part of the polling and my, uh, my details that I was studying on it. God's not going to be surprised. Um, it, it's gonna, he's going to work through that. He's going to fulfill his purposes. In Romans 13, uh, Paul writes, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Now, this is crazy. But you know who was emperor when he wrote this? Was Nero, the, the worst leader that ever lived. Now, now you may think Hillary's bad, or you may think Donald Trump is going to be bad. They're not nearly as bad as Nero. 
Nero is far worse than the, any flaws they might have, the two of them uh, combined. And he says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Uh, consequently, he says, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And Daniel, love this. Daniel writes about God. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He elects certain kings and causes others to not be elected. Verse 37, he speaks and he says, you, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. Now, who was he talking to? Nebuchadnezzar, an absolute tyrant, uh, one of the first kings of Iraq. Saddam Hussein, his hero was, was Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, that was his hero. Nebuchadnezzar was a tyrant, and yet he says, the God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. Uh, Romans chapter 9, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, now remember which Pharaoh this was, the one that killed the baby boys of the Jewish people, the, the author of the first Holocaust, that, that Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in, in all the earth. God works out his purpose even through the most flawed of candidates. God will work his purpose through the most flawed people. Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, um, um, Nero. Uh, here's another one, John 19, verse 11. Jesus is talking to Pilate. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Pilate, Nero, um, Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar. God can work. Uh, he's still on the throne. He will fulfill his plan and his purpose uh, regardless of who is elected on Tuesday. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have certain responsibilities. That doesn't mean that we just, oh, whatever. However it turns out, no, no, no. That's, that's not what this means. Here's the five responsibilities of a Christian citizen. Five responsibilities of a Christian citizen. Number one is to pay for your government. This is a real popular one right off the bat. I thought I'd do the, the, the happy one right off the bat. Pay for your government. Uh, Paul writes, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. And this refers to income taxes. If revenue, then revenue. This, occur, this applies to the sales tax. Now, have you ever thought that each time you pay your taxes, it is an act of obedience to God? It is actually like a praise song on Sunday morning. You say, Glenn, come on, come on. That's right. Every time you pay your taxes, you're, you're obeying God, and, and, it's, and it's like an act of worship. I'm going to leave this one real quickly because I don't know if you're buying it. Number two, <laughs> pray for your government. Okay, First Timothy uh, chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and in all holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Now remember, who was the emperor? It was Nero. 
when Paul is writing these words. So when you have a leader, you pray for your leader. If you have a bad leader, you pray even more for that bad leader, okay? You pray even more for that bad boss or that bad political leader or that bad pastor. You pray even more. The badder I get, pray more, okay? Um, Now, let me ask you a question. Who's going to be easier to pray for on Wednesday? If your person gets elected or the other person gets elected, okay? Maybe this election is different. We're going to pray regardless, okay? But I find it, it's always easier for me to pray for the person that I voted for. When they win, ah, it's easy to pray. It's hard to pray for the person I didn't vote for. Well, the person we didn't vote for, if they get elected on, on Tuesday, we should pray even harder. But we should pray for both. Whether we voted for them or not, we need to pray for our government, pay for our government. I love this verse right here. Uh, Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king, or the president's heart, is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Isn't that an awesome verse? I love that verse. So the, the president's heart, whether it be Hillary or Donald, is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Okay? Whoever is elected, um, God will direct it wherever he, he pleases. Just, this just popped into my mind, a funny story. Um, a man in our church a couple months ago was just extremely distraught over the election, just totally distraught. And, and he just couldn't get peace about it. And, and this true story, he calls into my assistant, Bev, and he says, I finally resolved it. I finally resolved it. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to write in as a writing candidate, Pastor Peter Torrey, our executive pastor. So there you have it, okay? I think Peter would be an awesome president, by the way. So I, anyway, that had nothing to do with anything. It just popped into my mind, okay? Okay, you pay for your government. You pray for your government. Number three, you praise your government, especially if you've got a good one, okay? And we got a good one. Relatively speaking, we got a really good one. And we should uh, praise, praise our, our, our government. Um, Fred Thompson, I love this guy, is the United States Senator from Tennessee, um, presidential candidate. Actually, I think the statute of limitations is over. He's, he's dead now. So there were five of us, myself and four other pastors from large churches in California that met with him and prayed with him when he was running for president. It didn't do him any good. He dropped out a month later, but at any rate, you know, so it didn't, didn't turn all that well. But we know him best for the district attorney in Law and Order. How many of you have ever watched Law and Order? Okay. He's got my favorite line, like, ever. He goes, um, in Law and Order, and if you ever watch Law and Order, it's these complicated cases where justice is not that clean. It's kind of messy, and the results are usually somewhat unsatisfying. And after a particularly unsatisfying case, he, he walks out, and he says, we've got the worst justice system in all the world except for all the other ones, okay? We got the worst one in the world, except for all the others. And we got the worst government in the world, except for all the others. And so we do have a good one by comparison. So we need to praise our government. Paul writes in Romans 13, if respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Paul was proud of his Roman government. He was proud to be a Roman citizen, even though that government eventually executed him. Okay? Peter 1 Peter chapter 2, respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and respect the king. He respected the Roman emperor even though he too was eventually executed 
by that Roman emperor. And so we praise our government. Now, this is the most important one, probably. Number four, we preach to our government. The church is not meant to be the Lord of the state or the servant of the state, but the conscience of the state. The local church, the church of Jesus Christ, is not meant to be the Lord of the state over it or the servant of the state under it, but to be the conscience of the state. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth. Now, salt is a preservative. Uh, it, it prevents decay. Okay? And so we as a church, are to, we are to preach to the government in the same way Nathan preached to David. Elijah preached to Ahab. Jehu preached to Jehoshaphat. Daniel preached to Nebuchadnezzar. Moses preached to Pharaoh. John the Baptist preached to Herod. We are called to be the conscience of the state. As a church to speak out on issues like abortion, sexual morality, justice for the weak, and concern for those in need. And we need to practice what we preach. The more we practice what we preach, the saltier we are and the greater influence we have. And so the more as a church that we practice what we preach, the saltier we are, the more effective um, that, that, we, that we will be. Uh, Adrian Rogers, um, I, I love this quote. As the church, we dare not identify too closely with either political party, for we must be able to tell both of them to repent. Uh, Charles Finney. Uh, kind of the Billy Graham of the mid-1800s. Um, here's what Charles Finney said. The time has come that Christians must vote for honest men and women and take consistent ground in politics or the Lord will curse them. God cannot sustain this free and blessed country which we love and pray for unless the church will take right ground. Politics are a part of religion in such a country as this, and Christians must do their duty to the country as a part of their duty to God. God will bless or curse this nation according to the course Christians take in politics. And then number five, we must participate in our government. Uh, Romans 13, again, Paul writes, give to everyone what you owe. And in a democracy, we owe the government voting. We, we owe voting and involvement. Uh, a democracy that's of the people, by the people, and for the people, we owe that particular democracy involvement, we owe it our vote. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 22, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, sometimes we say, oh, well, what difference will it make if I'm busy on Tuesday? Uh, what, what difference can one vote make? And, and you've seen these before, I know, but just, just to remind us of some of the one votes in history, 1645, Oliver Cromwell took control of England by one vote. 1649, Charles III was executed by one vote. Now here's an interesting one. 1776, English became the primary language, the official language of the United States over German. The, the, the fact that we're having this service in English rather than German right now is based on one vote. Um, uh, California became a state by one vote, along with Idaho, Oregon, Texas, and Washington. 1876, Rutherford B. Hayes became president by one vote. 1923, Hitler became leader of the Nazi party by one vote. 1960, John F. Kennedy defeated Richard Nixon by an average margin of only a half a vote per precinct nationwide. 
and then I've already mentioned the election of 2000, the presidency was decided by way fewer voters that are in this room right now, okay? Uh, But before we vote, we've got to study the issues, and we've got to pray, and we've got to ask God's wisdom uh, for his decision. Uh, Hosea, uh, God says, they set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. We've got to seek and pray and ask God's consent. Ask him for his approval as to who we vote for. Uh, Proverbs 29, when the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. Um, here's what God gave as the, uh, the things that we were to look for when we elect people. He said this to Moses. But select capable men, and I would say and women, in case my daughter Abigail is watching from Washington, D.C. right now, even when she was in high school. I mean, she's been like a political animal from day one. Don't know where she got it from. Her mother's a little crazy on this. I mean, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, uh, she had a bumper sticker on her car when she was in high school that a woman's place is in the house and in the Senate. And uh, <laughs> she's gone on to live that out, I'm telling you. But select capable men from all the people, men and women who fear God, trustworthy men and women who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, have them serve as judges for the people at all time. And then I love this verse. This is my, like one of my favorite verses about leadership, whether it's leadership in business, in the educational field, here at church, or, or in government. It says, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. So you look for leaders, where, whatever arena it is, to have skillful hands. They know what they're doing, and then they have integrity of heart. Adrian Rogers writes, our only hope is to change public opinion, and the only thing that can change public opinion is God's word and prayer. Our only hope is to change public opinion. And the only thing that can change public opinion is God's word and prayer. And then one other quote, and for you Indians fans, I know this is too soon and I apologize to you. But I got a quote here. This is awesome by Ben Zobrist, who was the World Series MVP, uh, brought the Cubs their first championship since 1908, MVP of, of, of the World Series. And, and you know what's cool about him? He is the most on-fire Christian in Major League Baseball. Isn't that awesome? He is like the most on-fire Christian. His wife is a, a contemporary Christian artist in Nashville. They live in at Nashville. And he is just like all in on Jesus. Look at what he says. Very profound here. Sounds like a theologian, not a baseball player. I still have a lot to learn about what the love of Christ is like. That it's not just knowledge, but it's allowing the truth to change you. Allowing Christ's message of grace and hope and love through the cross, that that message is the message that changes the way we look at everything in our lives. That's good stuff, isn't it? My goodness. I hope they trade him to the St. Louis Cardinals. We need him on the Cardinals. (laughs) Surprise. Usually all the Christian players are on the Cardinals. uh, How did that happen there? Okay. Okay, what what are we going to do? Let's summarize. Here's what we're going to do. Pray, vote, go. Pray. Pray, pray, pray. Over the next 48 hours, pray. Boy, I'm very appreciative of the Duets Adult Bible Study 
that has been having a prayer meeting here from 7 to 8. You'll see information on that for this Tuesday there in your program. So grateful for the duets that have taken the lead to have a prayer meeting here every Tuesday night for the last couple of months this fall. They've had a prayer meeting for the election for an hour, 7, seven to 8. Um, this, this Tuesday night, it'll be the last hour before the polls close. Polls close in California at 8 o'clock. Boy, if you can make it, um, we'd love to see you there, 7 to 8, Tuesday night in the chapel, right through there, in, in the chapel. But if you can't make it, because we're spread all over the place here at Purpose Church, just pray where you are. Let's pray, pray, pray. And then we vote. Make sure you vote. Make sure that you don't get too busy with other stuff. I know how it gets. It's like Murphy's Law that you're going to have a crazy busy day on Tuesday. But if you haven't voted already um, that by absentee, um, that's the way we do it in our family. We vote absentee, so we've already voted. But vote on, vote on Tuesday. If you haven't done that already, vote. And then go. And then go. On Wednesday, we pray on Monday. We vote on Tuesday. And then we get back to work again on Wednesday. And here's what Jesus told us. Last thing before he left in Matthew chapter 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am still on the throne on Wednesday. Everybody got that under control, he says. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, because I'm on the throne, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here's the good part. And surely I am with you always, regardless of what happens Tuesday. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And all God's family said, Amen.